Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 279. And since we last checked in, I went to Vienna in Austria, which is a huge, sprawling city with beautiful architecture, lots of great museums, some wild-looking palaces. It was super hot there. Man, I mean, wherever you are right now, I know you're in the middle of a heat wave, but it was like, I guess, 140 degrees Celsius. So for me, one of the most exciting and best parts was swimming in the Danube, which was really cool. Public transportation is great there, and we took a train, and you can take it to like five different spots along the river. And there were so many people there because it was super hot, just hanging out and eating ice cream and drinking. There are a couple of spots that have almost like docks that you can jump off of, but we just found a spot where you can walk through the vegetation. There's ducks in the water. The water is nice and warm. There were a couple of people that jumped off the bridge that hangs over. In that part of the Danube, it kind of splits, and there's the old Danube and the new Danube. Uh, we were at Neue Danau, so new Danube, and there's no boats that go by, so it's just people swimming. It's really cool. But since that time, we've moved on to Prague in the Czech Republic, where I am right now. And I'm sitting here on the fourth floor in the flat that we're in, looking out the window. It's early morning. It's sunny. This is a beautiful city. It's also really big. We spent about an hour and a half walking to our destination yesterday, but it's awesome. Uh, so yesterday, we went to a restaurant called Leaf. And the chef and owner is Barbara, or Bara Samankova. She's doing really wonderful things there. We were fortunate enough to go and eat and have the chef's choice, which is Bara picking out like seven-ish courses, which I wrote down and I'll read to you in a second. But she's doing amazing things with a menu that is not meat-centric. And you know I love meat. But she, I mean, listen to this. Um, the second course was ricotta, pea shoot, and cold pea soup. I just think like as a kid hearing that, you'd be like, ah, right? But it's such amazing. These bites that just absolutely just burst with flavor. It was so fresh and so powerful. Maybe that sounds strange, but such an intense flavor when you have that. Let me read out some of the other things that I wrote down here. Um, it started with a fennel cracker and a zucchini mash, then that cold pea soup, then a pickled carrot, bread crumble, and halloumi cheese. I love halloumi. Then a corn polenta with homemade tomato uh, sauce, salsa, which was so good. Then a pulled chicken with jasmine rice and charred shallots. We had a cheese plate. We had a poppy seed ice cream with cherries cooked in brandy. And I think there was a, a, a mandarin orange in there too, soaked in brandy. And then a strawberry and rhubarb brownie. Really good. And a departure from what you see in a lot of places in the city where there's a lot of people congregating and a lot of tourists. And I don't want to put that down necessarily, but you can go from restaurant to restaurant and get the exact same thing. And it's schnitzel, or it's chicken and potatoes, or goulash, or pork knuckle. And again, you can go and have a wonderful meal. But there's not a whole lot of variety around the city. And so getting to Barra's place was just really refreshing. And she's worked at some of the, 
the best restaurants in New York City and in the world. And you can see her training and the influence of some of those kitchens in her cooking and then her own unique take on things. So I can't talk highly enough about what she's doing. And she had great insights into the food culture in Prague and food throughout the Czech Republic. So super fortunate to have her on and to meet her and her boyfriend, Michael, and to get to, to take up an hour of her time. If you are in Prague, you have to go to Leaf. It's incredible. Naturally, there will be a link in the notes for this episode, so just go there and find that. You can also go to her Instagram account. She posts a lot of stuff, uh, pictures of her food items. I think her menu changes quite often. Uh, and She's using what's seasonal and what's local here and what's available from the farmers and producers that she knows, and that stuff always makes me happy. So give her a follow. Give me a follow on Instagram. There will be a link to my Instagram account in the notes if you're not already following me. And then finally, there will be a link to my Patreon account, and that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks like postcards from around the world, the shirts I make, stickers, and things like that. Thank you to the people who are supporting. It, I don't have a ton, but it actually goes a, a very long way, even if it's you know once a month we can cover a night at a hostel or a B&B or meals for a couple of days. That's huge when you're on the road. I mean, when, when somebody makes you a meal on the road, I can't overstate how incredible that is. Because sometimes like that will carry you through. Let's say it's, it's lunch and you haven't had breakfast. That'll carry you through to the night and it's money you don't have to spend. Often you get to have it with someone, so you get to meet new people and have a great conversation. So that stuff's always huge when you're on the road, and the Patreon helps with that. All right, I'm going to stop blabbing here and say please enjoy this conversation with Bara. <laughs> so you're saying the, the people who had reached out to you to say that they read the article, they haven't come yet? Uh... No, like the, the the taste of Prague. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I, exactly. Yeah, you're right. So the people who wrote the article about me, I mean, they did a podcast with me also a couple of years ago. They put us in their newsletter on the beginning of January because there were people, like, there were foreigners, you know, like, we know that the neighbors, they, they all speak Czech, but we have... Not many customers are uh, speaking English. Mm. And uh, they came, so we were asking, of course, how did you hear about us and stuff. And then they said, oh, the Taste of Prague wrote, you know, like they're sending a newsletter every month and they mentioned you. And that's interesting because in, by that time, they were in Mexico and they were saying apparently in that newsletter they, they, they're going to come as soon as they land here back really? to the Republic, but they never came. <laughs> Hold this a little bit closer. How, how long ago was that? Yes. Uh, Six months ago. Uh, it's been six months since we opened. Yeah. Wow. I was curious about that, actually, because on this trip, I've had a few chefs on, and they told us in the cities that they're located in, they get more tourists and foreigners in their restaurant than they do locals. But it sounds like you get more locals. It's, uh, it's because of the location. Mm. You know, we are not in city center. So yeah. that's... Right now, all the restaurants in the center, they are the only one who make some money during the summertime. Ah. And we are, you know, like, we are 
a bit, it's, if you're from New York, you know, mm -hmm. it's not far from the city center, you know, like 20 minutes, like it's nothing. It's three stops in, in a subway. Right. But uh, for people living in Prague, it's like, oh my God, it's, you know, like I have to go all the way there and all the way back. It's not worth it. Mm. So uh, first of all, the tourists, they don't, they have no idea we exist because we are so far mm. and uh, we've been open since, yeah, only for a couple of months. It's been six months, so it's still pretty new. Yeah. And uh, we got more locals again because of the area and because of also like there was uh, there were a couple articles and I think I also did some some like podcast or something with someone uh, when on like when we were three months in we it was like a huge I don't know what happened like huge boom where like in four weeks everyone was like okay. You know, we we want to talk with you. We want to write write something about you. So it was like five or six different um, different magazines mm. and, and uh, on the websites and stuff, and they were talking about us. So that's how the locals were. Ah, oh, all right, we have to go there, but it's all in Czech. So like no, you know, like no 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 one yet actually you know like heard about us as a uh, for for people who who are just visiting Prague. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I've never actually thought of that because, you know, you can go to multiple countries as a German speaker and, and get by, but if you speak Czech, you're kind of limited to the Czech Republic. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, and I'll get into it a bit, but having worked in New York, it, it's quite difficult to run a restaurant and like one of the largest aspects of that is real estate. Uh, it's kind of why restaurants are lucky to last more than three years in New York. Uh, what is that situation like in the Czech Republic? Is it difficult to get a building? So we were lucky that we got this place right after COVID. Mm. Actually, that was one of the things why we said, okay, we will try it because it was, uh, there was a guy during the, or he just, he, he rented right before Corona started and he wanted to have cafe here. Mm. And for like kids who are next to next next in you know, a next route in the in the school and stuff, and then it was COVID and he it wasn't his uh, you know he never worked in the restaurant business he, he never worked he he didn't know what he's doing actually mm. so then he the COVID like COVID stopped and he was like okay you know what like it's it's not working I, I it's too much time for me spending here and I have. He has his uh, company, uh, like building company or something. So he was like, I will just, you know, I will just let it be and I will give it to someone else. Mm. And um, my friend who sometimes he's uh, here in uh, Weber store, he's like selling the grills and stuff. So sometimes when he was building his store, he came up to this uh, cafe for a coffee and some cake or food. And one day he told me, it's one year ago actually, he was like, this place has been shut during the COVID and they haven't opened yet. Maybe we could reach out to the owner because I know that maybe he wanted like, let it be to someone else. Mm. Uh, so we can, you know, like ask him and, you know, you never know, like it's, it, it, would, it would be cool for you to have a place like this in this neighborhood, there's nothing around, you know, you could, you could finally do something for yourself, you would never, you wouldn't have to work for some, someone else as you did all your life and stuff, and uh, yeah, so it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll see, and then he asked him, it's like, mm -hmm, like, 
uh, maybe he said by the time he was like, I, w I, was, I will keep it for one more month and then I will see. And after a month, uh, he showed up in, the, in, the, in my friend Weber store and uh, he said, you know what? I don't want it. If, they, if your friends want it, I will give her the key tomorrow. I don't care. Wow. I, just don't, I, just, I just don't want it anymore. Like, he, and he, he was, <laughs> it was like too fast for us. Because uh, that's the first time we heard about it. It was last year in, um, it was uh, December. Uh, ta -ta -ta, October, oh, like maybe the end of October. Okay. So that's when we met. And, uh, it's a fast turnaround, we, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we saw the place. Uh, so we saw this part. And then we walked to the kitchen. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Like I don't, I think like we can't do it because he was like, you know what? Like I can, I can give you the keys. You can reopen tomorrow. I was like, no, we cannot. We can't reopen like this tomorrow. Like, mm. We have different vision about a restaurant and the place we want with Michael. So it's like there's no way, you know. Like, but he, still, it was like where I, I told him, I was like, give us a little bit of time. We took four days to think about it, and since it's just me and my boyfriend Michael. We have no money. We are not from like a rich family or anything. Mm. You know, we just we just like what we do. We just we like our work, and we've been traveling uh, for work also. Michael was in London. I was in London also, and then I was in New York. Um, so we were like, how much it can you know, like how much money we will have to borrow, or how much money we will have to you know, like we will need to put in this place before we can open it actually and if it's if if it can be actually our work like if if, if we will make some money for yeah. us to pay the rent and the place where we where uh, where we live like our apartment our home um yeah so we had four days to think about it and then we went to talk about it with our parents and we asked them for help and uh, we were like okay let's try it you know like the worst scenario would be that if it's not working, we will shut it down in, in summertime and then like going to make money in abroad again and and we'll start to start our lives from the beginning and making money and like paying what, whatever we need to pay. Uh, but so far, <laughs> thank God it didn't happen because we opened and uh, it was just a couple of weeks since uh, until I mean it was just a couple of weeks when there was basically no one because no one knew about us and then the first article came it was for best so it was huge yeah and we were like it was crazy we were crazy busy for next two months almost three and then when the first heat wave came all the people are just you know going out of the city and it uh. got empty well, congrats on the restaurant. I think when I, well, when you had done that Taste of Prague episode and the write-up for that, they were anticipating you opening a place and they wrote something like, we can't wait until she does. And now you have it. So it's very cool to see that you have it. But by the time, I think the article you read, it must have been the one that we re like we've recorded a podcast four years ago or three years ago mm. when I was opening my first restaurant, or it wasn't mine, because there was people who owned the place and they hired me to be a head chef. Okay. Uh, 
but they also they there was an experience in uh, in restaurant business at all. So that's you know like there was there was a long long run because we were waiting for that for like year and a half until we open and huh. then COVID came. So we were open we were open for like three months and then again in winter time and then after that I was just like. There was couple, there was there was a lot of things actually, so I, I never came back after COVID. Okay, yeah, I mean in New York, it was pretty heartbreaking. Like there were some really long-standing institutions in the community that have been around for like a hundred years that had to close up. Yeah, I grew up on Long Island, and this may sound silly, but there was this place called the Good Steer, and it was just a family-run place, and just you know, I guess if you want to say traditional American-style meals. Nothing fancy, but has been there forever. And just last week while we were out on the road, I read that they closed up. So people are still impacted by it. Uh, how bad did things get in Prague? And did a lot of businesses, you know, shut their doors for good? Uh, I think all, all, like all this COVID and what's happening now in, in Ukraine and stuff. Yeah. The impact is going to be like in like next year, maybe, you know, like. It's like, like I don't think that these like some places closed, but it wasn't like in New York where you know it was one by one. It was just like wow, we don't we they, you could I, I mean I I have still friends there and we talk, so they, I know that this is what was happening all the time. Mm. Like they couldn't pay the rent and that's it. So there was like there was here in Czech Republic there was like a package uh, from the government, so they somehow supported some businesses. Mm. Uh, it wasn't as, I, as far as I know that it wasn't easy to get that money from the government to pay the rent. It was just like 60% or something, but it helped. So some some businesses survived mm. through the COVID. But now, when like this war in Ukraine on uh, like you know the prices of gas and everything and food went higher, it's like I think the impact. I vote like of all of this is gonna come in the future, but it's gonna be soon. That's interesting. Like right now, it's where you know, like we can feel it also. You know, like as soon as it was funny. I mean, it was it wasn't funny, but um, there's a gas station just up to the hill, and you know, once it's reached two uh, two dollars, like people basically stop going to the restaurant. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was like so fast. And then it dropped a little bit. So it's, it, it, it was better again. And it's like whenever, you know, something like that happened, it was automatically like there was empty roads and no one wants to spend any money. And now I think, you know, like people getting used to it. Some people get uh, like, um, uh, they, they raise their, their salaries, for example, at work and stuff because, you know, like the employers mm. have to also react to the situation, what's happening now in, uh, in Europe. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty hard for the last couple of months. Do you think that's impacted, not the price of things, but do you think that the war has impacted tourism just because of geographic proximity? We're obviously, we're not in the Ukraine, but we're closer. Do you think there's fewer people coming to the eastern part of Europe? Well, the f what happened with Ukraine is that since, uh, I mean, you definitely heard about it, you know, like for many Czechs, it was very similar to situation what it was here in like 1968 mm. with, uh, you know, like with the second, second uh, World War. 
So uh, there was a huge, uh, like, there was lines on, uh, on with, like, there was many Ukrainians coming to Czech Republic mm. for, like, and they still, they're, they're, they either stayed here or they just uh, went to Berlin or someone else. Mm. But uh, um, I think, like, the, what was the question? <laughs> well, I was just wondering, and I, I hadn't thought of this at all, really, but we we've been traveling through Eastern Europe this past month, and we were in some places with a lot of tourists. But then you know, like we were in Slovenia, and there weren't many. And I'm just wondering if if the proximity, considering how close we are, I guess, to Ukraine, mm -hmm. if maybe there's fewer people coming to this part of Europe just because they think it's closer to the war. I, I don't know. I wonder if it's impacting how many tourists are coming. That's another thing mm. uh, and I don't I don't know the answer yeah. but the truth is that I have a friend in New York and f uh, his first reaction on the Ukraine was like oh my god I'm so worried about you because you are so close mm. <laughs> so I'm I don't know like it's just you know like my hypothesis but uh, I think that for example not many Americans may be coming here you know like not many people from overseas like uh, and also it's now it's summertime, so they rather go to places where is a sea or ocean. Mm. Um, but I think the tourism more than I think it's it's not about. I still think it's more about the COVID than anything else really? and yeah. the prices. But it's just my opinion. I don't actually like. I don't know. Since we open. I'm just, you know, I'm here all the time <laughs> and I'm trying to, you know, like just care as as I, you know, like take some, as much information as I can mm. just about like what's happening around me basically and like my boyfriend is the one who's more in this like politics stuff and, okay. you know, like what's happening and where and, and this kind of things. Uh, did you grow up in Prague? No. I mean, I was born in Příbram, which is like our drive from here, and we moved close to Prague uh, when I was seven years old. So, yeah. The then, I, then I was so it's and then we close close to Prague, but it wasn't really in Prague. So first time when I lived in Prague and I moved by myself to Prague was when I was uh, 19, I believe. Okay. And it was my first apartment. Yeah, I was renting close to my job. It, I was chef by the time already, so. At 19? Yeah, it's wow. a little bit different than in the US. Yeah. Uh, so I started to cook when I was 15. Because you're, you're like, for you, you have these uh, high schools, and you have like then you go to CIA or something after you graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. But in Czech Republic, you can either go to like grammar school, or you can go to which is for like four or eight years, or you can go to uh, elementary school, and then you have like high school for four years. But it's already like focused. So you trade, right? Yeah, you're already trained for whatever you want to do. Hmm. So I was on grammar school where I was supposed to be for eight years until until I'm, you know, like 20 and then I would go to university or something. But uh, after four years, I was like, I really like to cook. I was cooking at home all the time and baking. Hmm. So I was like, I don't want to waste my time and I, you know, like I want to be trained already in a kitchen. 
So I uh, transferred from my grammar school to uh, high school, which was focused on cooking and the restaurant business. And yeah, I was 15 or 16 by the time. My parents are, I guess, essentially baby boomers. They were born after World War II. I was born in the 80s. As a young person, I wasn't that plugged into food. You know, we ate very, uh, it's almost like utility food. We, we ate things that my mom could cook that were cheaper and easy for two working parents. From what I remember, though, there wasn't a whole lot of food media and food culture. People knew about Julia Child, and for good reason, but this is pre-food network and when people were becoming stars and the internet and all this media and things like that. So at the time, the profession didn't have a lot of momentum behind it in terms of, you know, nowadays there's a there's a show that came out recently in the States called The Bear, and it's like one of the biggest shows on TV, and it's about a kitchen, and people like Bourdain, they've made it cool, they've made it sexy in a sense, but there was a time where it was not that, and people working in kitchens didn't have a whole lot of prestige, and some people didn't have the best status in society, and they were doing it because they had to. What has sort of like the trajectory of, uh, food and cooking been in the Czech Republic? And when you were young, was that seen as a desirable profession? And not at all. That's, uh, and it's, I think it haven't really changed here, to tell you the truth. Really? It's been changing in the world, but still, I think the food culture, it's still like on a very beginning. Mm. Like people here, they are, they don't want to, you know, like they don't want to, they don't want to spend money on the food. They, they, like we've been, since there was a communism for a long time, you know, they're really also um, used to eat just, you know, just the food, something to eat. And mm -hmm. that doesn't really matter what is it. Um, and to be a chef, uh, it's always been, and I think it's, it's still like that. It's, there's, there goes the, the child or the kid who, who are like stupid or not stupid, but you know what I mean. Like, I understand what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> so my parents, they wasn't really happy that I want to be a chef and I want to go to this school because I was on a grammar school and I was, we just like prestige by the time. Uh, it is still prestige when if you go to grammar school here in Czech Republic, I think. And uh, I had a good uh, like record, you know, like, I was a, I was a good uh, learning kid, but I just didn't I just didn't like it anymore. I knew that I want to cook, so I transferred to the high school, and then I felt the shock for the first time because I thought that in uh, my class there will be all of like all the kids will be like me, and all of them wants to cook, and all of them wants to like know everything and know all the techniques, and you know I just thought. It will be different, but yeah, it's, it's the reality was just shocking for me um, because there was like 20 boys. Mm. No one really cared about cooking. <laughs> no, none. Really? <laughs> and there was two other girls or three maybe, but they were like 
they didn't like to like learn anything. They also really didn't like to cook. They were just it just they just happened to be there because they didn't have like the they didn't have the good you know like records to go to better school. Mm. So they just end up in that class. You know like if if you don't have a good uh, I don't know what you call it. Like we no, have yeah. numbers here. You have A or whatever, right? And uh, yeah, in like in your core. I mean, even when I grew up, in 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 your core subjects, right? Math, science, social studies, English. If your marks weren't too high there, we we had programs for kids to go into a trade, and you could be a master at that trade. And I think the perception is changing now, but certainly at the time, yeah, you were seen as not as intelligent as the kids who were, you know, doing better in those four core subjects. So if you are if you are not as that intelligent in Czech Republic, you go to the mm. like uh, gastronomy school. <laughs> That's what's been happening, and I don't think it's really changed. So that was shocking for me, and um, yeah, uh, I actually was in my class uh, with Michael. Also, it's my boyfriend who's running here, and. Uh, <laughs> He's here with us, just so people know. <laughs> so um, I think we are. Maybe it's, maybe it's like four of us who's actually still working in the restaurant business, wow. and I don't know really what everyone else is doing. Hmm. But yeah, in my class, it was. I, I, I mean, there was other. Uh, there was a boy who actually liked to cook, and uh, he was already doing. Because he has some friend in Prague Culinary Institute, it was which was prestige in Prague. It was like for public uh, cooking classes, for like cooking courses for publics. Uh, so he recommended me there, and I was there as a commie for almost four years. So I was at school, like learning math and uh, some subjects which was uh, which are like um, connected to cooking, but. It was so old school, mm. you know, like, for example, learning about, uh, like, service, how you should, you know, behave in dining room. It is like, I mean, it was a great teacher, but she was so old, you know, so it's like she was telling us, and I think it really haven't changed. Like, the, I, and I know for a fact that, the, you know, what you have, uh, what do you call it? Like these uh, school books, mm -hmm. they haven't changed for, like, 40 years maybe. So, so still from that communist system they haven't yeah, changed. Yeah, like it's crazy. Like the the biggest book uh, for cooks, it's called, uh, like, it's just some stupid name also. But it's like, it's some technological cooking cookbook, whatever it is. And it's like, you're looking at the recipes and it's like, oh my God, really? Yeah. And it's still there. And it haven't changed. So from the practice, and there was, there was, you know, like there was this couple of chefs like uh, Zdeněk Polreich and there was uh, Roman Vanek from Prague Culinary Institute who tried to change also the like the school system about cooking, mm. but I don't, I don't, I don't think it really changed. So it was crazy. Um, I I didn't really learn anything at school that much about that stuff, but I learned from my training week because we have one week at school and then one week in a restaurant and i was lucky that i got to uh like one of the greatest restaurant by the time uh in alcron mm. um and uh i was training there for three years and then you know i i uh since i was going after school or after my 
training day in, in that restaurant to the Prague Culinary Institute. I got to know like many other chefs and uh, then I was doing like stages in their restaurants and then I was going abroad to to uh, to stash in, in different kind of restaurants and that's how I learned. Not really at school, but through the school I got to the point where, you know, like somehow I found my way through the years, hmm. through the chefs. And yeah. In that post-World War II world in the States, there were a lot of, I don't even, they're not even like cooking techniques. In that world, often women were seen as like the keeper of the home and the children and, and were the ones doing cooking in homes. And there were all sorts of shortcuts that were created that I think were quite convenient, but didn't make for the best food, right? So Tupperware was heavily marketed, I think starting in the 50s. We had TV dinners that you just pop into a microwave, and it was something that you could feed a lot of people quickly with a limited amount of work. That's a separate point from the fact that women were cooking, and in the States, in the early stages at least, probably still now, of uh, food media and the people who became personalities, they were men even though it came out of a, an era when it was mostly women cooking in homes. When you were growing up, who was cooking? Well, my mom was cooking, mm. but for example, why I started to cook is because I always liked these uh, American shows oh. where they have <laughs> hot dinners and stuff, you know. Mm. We always had like a baguette with butter and cheese mm. <laughs> you know? like we never would have uh, like proper meal for dinner mm. like my mom was cooking only on a weekend for lunch and she would like make a soup and and some second course but she would never make dinner or, like really that we would sit down as a family as mm. I saw it in TV when I was kid you know right. like uh, no so uh, that's why I started to cook because I, I I wanted it I, I like by the time I was like 12 so I was like I really you know I want to have proper dinner. I want to sit with the family around the table and I, I want to eat proper dinner as in a TV. And uh, so I that's how I started to cook. And But my mom said, I'm not going to cook because like in a dinner time because, you know, like I'm too tired. I'm coming home from work late. But she let me to cook. So I was cooking and that's how some our family meal got to, got to, the, got to our plans because before it was like, take whatever you want in the fridge for dinner and, and just eat it. But mm -hmm. my mom was the one who was cooking. And talking about the women in gastronomy industry, when I was, he, I was working here in Sancho restaurant for a British chef, Paul Day, and uh, I was only a girl in the kitchen. And when I was in uh, with Alcorn restaurant uh, during my during my uh, high school uh, like uh, during, during my high school doing this uh, training stuff, I was only girl in, in a hot kitchen like in a, in mm -hmm. a kitchen. I mean, there's a there's women here in like uh, it's like in that like uh, cold area of the kitchen. They would make like a salad or some garnish and stuff, but they are. I never seen actually here woman who would like cook, you know, like meat and like doing something on a grill or, or mm. sauces and stuff. So in a professional world, there's also, there's actually only men. Like 
it was uh, for the first time I worked with uh, another girl in a kitchen was in London. And then in the uh, US I found that there's plenty of them. Mm. Uh, but you know why? Well, you know the answer why it's like that. I think it's the same as uh, it was in in US. Like yes, the the, the women they used to always they, they always used to be like a household for, for like doing this home stuff and cooking, cleaning, and whatever. But uh, and I think it's changing. But I don't like. It's, it, I mean, it, it was the same here, and maybe it's, it's still like that mm -hmm. in most of the families. Um, but it's stressful, like the work is stressful, so mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no wonder why there's no women in the kitchen. Like, they want to have kids, they want to be home, you know, they don't want to, like, it's, 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 it's not easy mm. <laughs> to be a women chef, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think that's like that with a lot of things that become popular is uh, the parts of it that are great become popularized, but the really difficult parts of it are not always seen. Um, and that's another thing, as you said, you know, like there's now many TV or like many, uh, you know, like different programs in the TV where they, where they show how it's exciting to be a chef. Uh, yes, but... In real world, it really doesn't look like that. You know, like in real world, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work mm. and uh, a lot of sweat. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of heat in the kitchen too. <laughs> so you're just making long hours. You're never home. If you are home, you never cook. That's funny. Also, when I these days uh, when I meet, you know, like some friends or there was a mom of my friend and she's cooking at home and she's like, oh my God, this, this is so great that you are a chef. I, 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 I always wanted to be a chef because like I love to cook. I'm like, yeah, you love to cook at home. Just keep it at home because otherwise you, you start, you, you're going to hate it. <laughs> I recently read Bill Buford's Heat, if you're familiar with him. Um, he... He wrote Among the Thugs, and then he wrote Heat when he went to, just as a writer, go work in Mario Batali's kitchen uh, a long time ago. But in it, he just describes these like horrible burns people are getting and a blister that then gets burned and it gets another blister. And he's just like, oh my God, this sounds horrible. So I understand, I think. <laughs> so that's why it's no wonder that not when a woman is in a kitchen, I mm. think. But I don't also know if they still stay home and do this cleaning and cooking. I still, these, I think still uh, these days is the same as in the US where many people just order food or they just buy something really quick. Mm. They can prepare in microwave. I mean, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I think uh, it's changing in Prague, maybe, but uh, also in countryside, people still cook. They cook more. Like, I mean, like 30 years ago, they've been cooking at home. Like um, my grandma, not really, but you know, other 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 grandparents. I know that uh, they've been they've been they've been cooking home when they were you know like uh, by the by the time even when there was a communism, and they would like grow the vegetables in their garden and cooking out of it. But. Yeah, I mean, this is similar with, with the U.S. Mm. All of what you were saying, I, I, I think it was in similar form here also. 
You mentioned going abroad to work and, and to train more and to grow in your profession. You didn't just go abroad. I mean, you went to some of the best restaurants in New York City. <laughs> like, just tell me about how that works. And it, when you're applying to work at a place like Per Se or Le Bernardin, are, are you, do you have to pre prepare a meal for Thomas Keller? Or like, is, is, is he part of that hiring process? Uh, so that's 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 funny story. Um, only a restaurant. That's funny you're asking because I was, for yeah, the only restaurant I had to cook for a chef and sous chefs when I was there for a trial. It was Eleven Madison Park. Ah, uh -huh, okay. Uh, I passed, so it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first success in New York because it was my first. Uh, trial also. It was the first restaurant uh, where I actually just, you know, like just pop up there and leave my resume. And they, in, in like, I remember it was like late afternoon. I was in, uh, you know, like uh, in, uh, in that uh, Columbus Circle and I got an email and if you want, you can come for a trial tomorrow and, you know, like EMP. I was like, shit. Wow. <laughs> it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I showed up there. I spent there. I spent the day with them, and then in the evening they they gave me like they said, you know, except the truffles, you can use whatever you want in the fridge, and as your garnish. And there's a you know like a white fish. You 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 will be cooking for us, and you know like me, I was a chef, and like other sous chefs, we we will taste it. It wasn't Daniel Hume by the time, you know, there was this uh, there was his uh, executive chef, mm. uh, and uh, I had to cook for them. But in Persa and or even in Le Bernardin, you had to cook. But I was there going. I, I mean, I was there for uh, for a trial, of course. So you have you have to you have to spend there a day, so they can. They get to know you a little bit. They see how you react, how you know, like, how, who you are actually. And you, and so it's also good for yourself if you really want to be in that place because mm. from the outside it looks like gold, but then you see the inside, and sometimes there's a worm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if there's somebody listening who's unfamiliar with those names that we mentioned, like these are multiple Michelin-starred restaurants in New York City, like really top of the top. Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I've, I was always like, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the, the word for it, but, you know, like I um, was always oriented to be, I always wanted to be the best when I was younger, mm. let's say this way. And uh, so when I was in, when I was in my, when I was in high school, I always, my dream was work for Alain Ducasse. Mm -hmm. Because he was a French chef, you know, he was like next to the Paul Bocuse. It was two of the greatest chefs I, I've, I've ever known. So I was like, I, I wanted to work for him. He's French. I love French. I love French cooking, you know, like French cuisine and stuff. So I wanted to work for him. And I figured out a way uh, to work for him in London. And then I was, I got... At, like after six months, I was like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to work with French anymore, mm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with like French people. I mean, it was good. It was a good experience, and I liked, and I liked to work in the restaurant. But I was like, you know, like I want to try something else. 
and what's gonna be the next? If I already work for Lambda Gas, who's the next? And uh, I was reading, it was also summer, I was reading that book uh, from, um, you know, like uh, the Alinea, uh, uh, or about Alinea and uh, the chef uh, Grant Achatz and his, I don't know if you read it, uh, Life on the Line. No, no. Oh, you should read it. Oh, cool. Uh, and I was like, wow, you know, what a story. So I wrote him an email and he said, unfortunately, you know, like there's, there's, uh, there's certain steps you have to, you know, like you have to do in order to get a stash in, a, in our restaurant. Um, so I was a bit disappointed, but I found there was also a first series of uh, Chef's Table on Netflix. Oh, okay, Do yeah, yeah. I remembered yeah. it when it came out, and mm -hmm. there was uh, Dan Barber on Blue Hill, and I got fascinated by him. I was like, oh my God, that's great. He's straight on the farm, you know, like, he's, it's, it's awesome. I want to work there. So I wrote him in an email. <laughs> I was like, I really want to work for you, you know, like, what I can do. I'm now in London, and, you know, I would, I would really want to, like, work in a restaurant or at least come for a stash and spend a month or two there or something. And then there was like, you know, like we exchanged emails uh, and I was about to go there and they would make a visa for me and stuff. But in the end it hadn't happened. For some reason I'd never mm. been there for, in that restaurant I'd never been there for a stash. Even though we, we were like, oh yeah, come, I come the next day, and then I was like, and what time I should be coming? And then they, they didn't reply. And it's like, so it's crazy. But anyways, I flew to New York. It was on uh, after New Year's in uh, like 2016, I believe, 15, 2015. And uh, I was there uh, just to see, you know, like I, I wanted to see other places and maybe, you know, if. If I would be lucky to work in some, that would mm. be great. But I, at least I wanted to ask for a stash. And I think that's the best way how you show that you really care about cooking. You know, like if you come and you say, you know, I don't really want your money right now, but I just want to be here and learn. Yeah. And uh, that's basically what I did. So I print out five of my resumes and I was like, so what? <laughs> where I should go. So I put one in the Blue Hill in uh, downtown, then I put my resume in Le Bernardin, in 11 Medicine Park, and in Bursa. And that's it. I think there's a lesson in there, <laughs> in there really, for people where, yeah, if you're willing to like put in the work and kind of make your dreams happen, that there's a potential for it. I mean, at least for you, huh? Uh, yeah, it was good for me, that's for sure. And uh, great was that I, I, it's really, for me, I, I mean, I experienced like incredible things in in U.S. It was first time, and I was by myself, so far from from home, you know. And I really like, I just wanted to learn from the best. And I've, I, this, you know, if you want to be a great chef, you don't going to, you you're not, you, you don't want to go to learn in a pub, right? Mm. Like you want to learn from the best. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky that my dream came true, and it you know as every, everyone says that right, like all the dreams come true in New York or or something like that. So <laughs> it definitely happened for me because uh, yeah, I was uh, my first or my first trial was in Eleven Medicine Park, and I went to that Blue Hill. Then I was in Bernardin, and actually from Perse they didn't get respond for the first try, 
when I put my resume there, there was no answer. Like it was long way I had to come to, to Perse, which was the place I wanted to work the most mm. on the beginning. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on e in EMP, uh, I can't remember the name of the chef who was executive chef there by the time, but it, he was like, he was great because after the first day I was there, he told me, uh, you know, he told me about the food, what I cooked for them, that was great, that, that you know, like the fish, fish was cooked perfectly and stuff. So, oh my God, I was so, <laughs> I couldn't believe it that someone like that, you know, like saying you that, you know, it was cooked well and they liked it and they would, they would hire me. But he was like, is that your first, is it first time when you are in New York? I was like, yes. And I was like, okay, you tell me like at least four or five different places you want to go for trial. And um, then you let me know if you're the one working here. Hmm. So, I and that was another thing I haven't heard since that, that they really wanted people who are willing to put everything, you know, like all the effort for the place, for the restaurant. Because they, like, they didn't tell me, okay, we will hire you and we don't care, but they really want me to be, um, you know, like to be 100% sure that I want to work in EMP because they know, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard work. Like, it's like army. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we're in New York, we're, we're teachers, right? We have teacher salaries. We're, we're not wealthy. We're, we don't eat at Michelin Sard restaurants. I don't think I've ever been to one in New York. Through traveling, because the U.S. dollar carries further in some places, it's more possible. Um, I get to meet a lot of chefs, which is cool. So we were in Dublin, and we had Indian food there. Michelin star chef, an unbelievable meal. And we sat right next to the kitchen, which was a pretty open kitchen. And it was remarkable to me how calm and quiet it was versus the, the kind of like controlled chaos or orderly chaos that I've seen in other kitchens. I don't know if that's typical of a Michelin star place. Like how much pressure is there in those kitchens? Well, the pressure is definitely very high. <laughs> yeah. But some, in some places, you can feel it more in the air, let's say. Okay. In other places, you have the pressure like inside yourself all the time. Mm. So, for example, and also it depends how many, I don't know how many chefs was in that place you were in Dublin. There were a bunch, yeah. Like to 10 or about 30, you know, like. Oh, no, no, uh, probably about 10. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, I would say that's the amount of chefs you can control, maybe like the volume a little bit or something. Yeah. Okay. Or it also depends how big is the restaurant. You know, like, yeah, I mean, about the, 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 like the voice and noise in the kitchen, it's always depend also like how exactly, actually what you said, like how, if the pressure is too high, if it's too stressful, then, you know, some chefs can start yelling. But for me and, Liberadin, it would be the service, maybe what you um, think of from the movies, you know, like. Really? Uh, yeah, this order. Where is my <laughs> You know, like, Barbara, where are you going? Go back to your station. <laughs> you know, and like, it was whatever. And. Um, yeah, more like the army, yeah. Uh, no, no. Not, no, not that organized as an okay. army in, in 11 Medicine Park. Like in 11 Medicine Park, I see 
that was incredible. Like, uh-huh. you know, like they had like this chef's meeting in the afternoon and it's like the sous chefs and chefs showed up there and they're like, so good afternoon, everyone. And then everyone in the same, in the same voice and the same time say, good afternoon, chef, you know, and it's like 30, 30 cooks there, you know, saying this, it's like, that, that was really like fascinating. It's like an army. I was like, wow. Mm. But so it wasn't like that in Bernardine. And that's why I decided to go actually to Le Bernardine instead of EMP wow. to work. Because I was like, oh my God, this is, that's fun. This is Le Bernardine, three Michelin star, you know, the best restaurant in New York for the last 20 years, I believe. And uh, like, it's so punk, you know, like, the, I, it, I, you would know what I'm talking about if you see these two kitchen like next to each other. Mm. So I was like, because I, 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 I was always more, not really like, uh, you know, like caring about the really details, but more like punk, let's say, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like you know, I wanted to be more free and more like, uh, since I was cooking here in Sancho, it, it was like Asian style cooking with like a wok pan and stuff, yeah. you know, like, so this is something I wanted to do again after London because the French cuisine is more about the precise details and stuff and I saw this like freestyle the, the, the punk in Le Bernardine so I was like this is cool and it's three Michelin stars so something I wanted to try so by the time I decided to go Le Bernardine to work and um, yeah um, it was a little bit different than I expected let's say that way And I found myself to not liking it in like a couple months. Uh, so I was looking for another job in the end. And I found uh, a job in Jansik, which is two Michelin mm. in downtown of Korean cuisine. But there, and that was funny because the first day I started to work there, I was a chef de party, but all the kitchen speak like spoke Korea, like in Korea and I, not really in English, not either a chef. So it was hard for me to communicate with them. But the first day I started there, uh, I got a response from Perset. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like I was, uh, I was, I was like on a cross. I was like, oh my God, I just started to work here and they hired me as a chef de partie, which is great, you know, and I, I just started And it was cool because it was completely different than Le Bernardin. Because Le Bernardin, there was like 250 covers on Saturday night. You know, like 180 for lunch service. It was like crazy busy. Le Bernardin was like crazy busy. And, you know, you had to be fast. And it wasn't really, I don't know, I don't know. Well, for me, like my, my opinion is that for me, it wasn't really like friendly uh, like friendly kitchen you mm. know, and not not either that professional I would expect from the restaurant like this but it's just you know it's just me like so uh, and then in uh, in Jansik it was completely different because they had much less covers there was much there was less chefs in the kitchen not this 30 to 50 Hermes as in EMP or Bernardin so it was more like the European kitchen you know like for me in Europe, you don't really have these huge restaurants, like right. huge cuisines. It's, I, I don't know about any really um, 
maybe in three Michelin in uh, or like Gordon Ramsay or something. Mm. They probably have, but I don't know. I'm not sure if they have 30 chefs. I don't, I don't think so. I can ask Michael. <laughs> but, well, I'm, I'm curious because... But it's different in Europe than in the US in this case. Like in this, uh, in, like about, at least in New York, I know that these places are pretty huge and the kitchens are huge. So Jamsik for me was something completely different mm. and it reminds me more, you know, like the European style. Um, and I was making a little bit more money there than in Lemberaden. So, uh, and, but the person offered me that I can come for trials. So I was like, oh my God, what should I do now? But, uh, so I was like, okay, you know, like on my day off, uh, I went to Perse for, for a trial and I loved it. I loved it. It was so organized, so prof like there was kitchen full of like professionals mm -hmm. and there was no yelling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can, you can feel this like a tension in the air, but not that chef would be like yelling to other people. Uh, like everyone was really focused. Uh, everyone, what was what was new for me was like they didn't call themselves a name, but they would call each other a chef. Like you interesting, know, like, yeah. It was. It's very I didn't like it. Professional for a long kind time, of, yeah. But it was very professional. So it wasn't. It definitely wasn't the punk I saw in Le Baradin, and it was completely different. I, and I, I just. Yeah, I, I loved it. I was like, oh my God, I, I really want to work here. But I had to pass another, like, yeah, I, I did some more days there because they didn't have, uh, like, a position open. And they was like, yeah, you know, like, we would hire you, but right now the position is not open, so we will let you know as soon as we have the position open. You can see that mentality, that sort of like what we're talking about, like punk mentality, right? If, if, if we're talking about music, right, you take traditional rock and roll and it's an offshoot of that done in a, in a different way according to different rules. When you walk around town, uh, town here in Prague in the city, and you go to restaurants that advertise traditional, and I put that in quotes, Czech food, there's... In every place, there's goulash, there's schnitzel, even though I think schnitzel probably more so comes from like Germany and Austria. Um, there's soups that you can find at pretty much every place. There's the, I don't know if I said the pork knuckle. We just went through seven courses of your food here, um, and you are a Czech chef, and none of that was on your menu. Are there other people who are, are doing things the way that you're doing it? And like, how do you see that, you know, fitting into Czech food culture, if that makes sense? Uh, so that's a tricky question. It's, uh, and there's actually a lot of questioning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, I don't, I'm not a big meat lover. Mm. Uh, you can see it on my on my menu a little bit, and this is what happened actually to me in New York in, uh, when I was working in Le Bernardin. Like this click clack, it's something just changed in my brain. I was like, okay, like if I eat meat, I wanted to know when it come from, because mm. not many people really care. Uh, so what I'm do like what I'm doing here in Prague. And then, like in Czech Republic, is that I'm trying to connect farmers and Czech people who really like stand behind the produce you get to, to your restaurant, 
and focusing on the produce and working with the produce and local like local ingredients we have instead of focusing on Czech cuisine what we what you would imagine as a Czech cuisine mm. so I, I really like I think this these uh, dishes are like very uh, meat heavy and like uh, they're, they're just you eat uh, dumpling with a goulash and you want to die a lot of know? potatoes yeah yeah <laughs> it's like um, so it's not really my style of food I would like I don't really eat that I don't really eat Czech cuisine like what you imagine as a mm. Czech cuisine but there's another restaurant in Prague uh, La Bohemia Degustation Bourgeois and uh, they are they have Michelin and I think they are doing amazing food mm. and they are actually focusing on really old cookbooks Czech cookbooks and making their recipes and mm. like reinventing them to the modern uh, Czech cuisine Czech culture you know like serving and stuff so that's that's I think that's pretty impressive and that's definitely a spot next time when you're in Prague you should go and then uh, there's another uh, it's called Field and they have uh, but they are also like very like focusing on the meat and they are doing not I don't think it's like you can call it Czech cuisine but you know like they have also like meat stuff and sauces and but it's not typically goulash and I think it's something what as you said also you know like Czech cuisine is something which is mixed between like, you know, like Austrian cuisine and then like Germany and stuff, because we were back then in the middle of, uh, of Europe where we were part of this uh, one huge country basically. So all this cuisine came mm. to us. So we can say that for example, our cream, creamy sauce with dumplings, uh, it's like French, more, more French than, than anything else. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't think that Czech cuisine has really, like, it's something that has really a root here. It's like either from Hungary or Austria or Germany or French or something like that. So it's like mixtures, all of these cuisines, basically. Mm. Um, people still really love it uh, because they are, that's how we grow up, actually. Like, my mom would also cook a goulash on Sunday lunch, for example. You know, like, or these cream sauce with dumplings or these potato dumplings filled with uh, smoked uh, meat and stuff. But I think, like, nowadays, you know, since everyone is working in office, you know, the weather is changing. Like, we don't really need to eat that much meat as we used to. Or as... I think it's also... We would have to, like, skip also more... Like, my grandparents and their grand grandparents, they used to work in the fields, right? And they were working all day long and they need to they they needed more protein because they were hard working. Mm. But it wasn't uh, that easy to get the protein so they would have it just on Sunday, for example. They would cook a rabbit on Sunday. It was something special. And then with communism because we didn't have anything, you know, like I, I wasn't like I, I wasn't born yet by the time, but I know you know like there was there was nothing really you know like proper proper food to eat. Mm. So then after when this ended, I think the people wanted more of what they couldn't have uh, in comparison, so they start to eat more meat again, and that's maybe like too much 
by by now, right? Because they have uh, like a baguette with uh, ham for breakfast, then they have goulash for lunch, and then you know like another chicken for for uh, for dinner. And it's like a lot of meat, and there's still many people who who do it that way. My my dad, for example, is a generation where I when I cook without meat, he would be like, if there's no meat, I don't want it. Mm. You know, like, yeah, but uh, I think this needs to be changed. I definitely think this needs to be changed. Like, it's just consumption of, you know, like, then people think that chicken is under plastic in a supermarket, and that's, that's the chicken. But chicken is, it was alive, you know, running somewhere, someone has to kill it, and, you know, there was many steps behind that. So, um, yeah, I think that's what we need to realize. And going back, not 40 years ago, but where our grandparents or grandparents were, and it's like eat a meat once a week or once a day, you know, like, but not with every meal we eat through the day. I've actually found, and maybe I'm wrong, but I've found there's there's actually a lot of, almost a lot of care put into ingredients at groceries here. Um, and by here, I'm talking about multiple countries in Europe. But, you know, at, at home, we'll get these very pale, anemic-looking eggs. And right now in the States, if you want some good eggs, you're, you're paying eight U.S. dollars for a dozen. Uh, we cook on the road a lot. So we're not eating in restaurants every night. We're traveling for a month. So with the Airbnbs we're at or hostels or things like that, we're cooking. I, I can get eggs here for, for you know, six for $2 and they're bright orange and vibrant. And I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I've at least seen like pretty quality ingredients in a lot of places here. Oh, well, it depends where okay. where do you, where do you buy it? I don't know if you buy the supermarket and what. I mean, you can even in supermarket these days, uh, you can find like good organic eggs or mm. like good organic stuff. That changed a lot within five years since I've been back. Okay. Because it's never been that way. But I think now it's higher demand for quality ingredients also. And the truth is, uh, yeah, it's like for. If you compare it to the US, it's cheap. And like you're wondering why people don't eat just the quality food here. Yeah. They, they just, they, they don't want it. They are not used to it. Like I can listen, like, you know, like I, I, we've heard it from our customers. They were like, you know, oh, you are, that's, we are that fancy place with healthy, uh, with healthy uh, cuisine or like, with, you know, like healthy food. It's like, well, it's full of butter, <laughs> you know, first of all, but, uh, and cream, but, you can like because it's, there's a vegetable. Mm. Uh, they think it's healthy, and they don't want to eat it purposely. I think because they don't want to eat healthy food. I don't know, um, but there, yeah, there's quality ingredients, and you can find them in these like organic markets, which are everywhere in Prague, which is pretty cool. Because there's not that many in New York, for example. There's one on Union Square, right? And yeah. then I had one in my neighborhood uh, on two, 208th Street. So there was a green market. but And then you could find a great stuff, but it was very expensive. Yeah, it prices out a lot of people in New York. They can't, they can't afford it. 
And here is the opposite. You can buy cheaper stuff in supermarket. I mean, in in the farmers market than in supermarket. In most, like in many, in you know, like in many cases. Uh, but people are lazy to go to the farmers market, mm. so they are buying in supermarkets. And some of them has even the good quality food, but they don't want it because it's more expensive. Even it's not. I actually don't know why people still buying like stuff which is not really you know like mm. not really good um then yeah I, I mean i remember when we were talking about prices and stuff i remember when i uh when i moved to us i was amazed how expensive your vegetable is yeah i was like i'm not wondering that they are eating like fast food all the time it's so bloody expensive and it's so cheap here, but people don't want to eat vegetables. <laughs> and the funny fact That's is interesting, yeah. that I, when I was a kid, I never eat vegetable. I hated it. <laughs> but then I found yeah. through, you know, like through my uh, career that the vegetable can be prepared, you know, in so many, so many ways. You can mm. use so many techniques and it can taste great. And that's something what I'm trying to show here to the people who comes to my place or to our place. Um, because as a Czech, we are not used to eat vegetables, I think, and not really like des like desirable food, you know, like mm. the vegetable is something what we put, what we, we would put on like on the side of the plate just for decoration. Yeah, it's the garnish. But, but yeah, as a garnish, but uh, not really something what you, what is like, you know, what you would be enjoying. So mm. I want to show people that it doesn't have to be just a goulash and dumplings, but have to be enjoyable food. There's yeah. also influences, like uh, we had a course with Jasmine Rice, or there was the cheese course, I think, had what tasted like a pear chutney, like that could have been on... Uh, menu for Indian food, in my opinion. I would imagine, and, and that's representing where you've worked and your training in different kitchens and your travels. I would imagine when the Czech Republic was Czechoslovakia and it was a system of communism that there was probably not a ton of immigration into the country, but in more modern times and all over Europe, uh, because there's way more refugees in today's world and immigration in some places is getting a little easier. Uh, there's changing cuisines and changing cultures and it doesn't make it inauthentic, it just means it's evolving. Is that happening much here in the Czech Republic as more people from other countries come and live and build a life here? Is that coming into the food culture? Um, I think we, as a country, don't really have so many like uh, immigrants or people uh -huh. who would stay here and 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 you know live. Or I mean, I know, of course, I know Americans here. I have friends uh, from different part of world here, but uh, it's not that many. I, I think it's more of like it's majority than majority. As in U.S., you have all these Dominicans and Mexicans and mm -hmm. people from around the world, especially in New York. Um, Italians, right? But here, not many. So I don't think that it has so much of impact or our, on our cuisine. But the thing is, uh, we are, or well, my opinion is that Czechs are really like, you know, like 
close-minded maybe you know like they don't really want to experience anything hmm. different they don't really want to like we there's a pub just next to our restaurant and you can see every day so many people still coming for 20 years to the same place it's a pub where they have the goulash as yeah. you said you know they have pate with uh, with like uh, you know bread fried in the in a in a in, in a in a fat and, and 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 garlic and they still eat the same stuff all the time and they are used to it and they want to eat it and they don't want to change it like i think we don't really want to change things and mm. i can and i feel it more even like since we opened and that people who come they are the one who travel the world you mm. know they are maybe a little bit younger generation but still the older generation or the the people who think that we are too pricey which i i don't think so in like you know in the end of the day it's you, you, even if you buy stuff now and you cook home it's not that cheap anymore yeah if if you were doing this in new york city i mean you know what you could charge yeah <laughs> yeah Even here, if I would be in a city center, really? like, people say, oh my God, you know, like people who know, they are like, you are so cheap, guys. Mm. Like if you're a city center, you can charge three times more. Mm. But, you know, like we have this location, we work with, we want, we work with what, whatever we have, you know. So uh, we are lucky that we have customers what we have. And um, I'm just, I don't, like I can see clearly every day that people like, Typical Czech people, they really don't want a change. Mm. Like they still want to have, have the dumplings in, like you know, even there's 90 degrees outside. They still want to have that heavy meal. They still want to uh, go to that pub with you know a big beer and in like smoke around them and you know like and cigars. That's just that's the culture. Mm. Well, things don't evolve if no one's pushing the culture and I mean I think that's what you're doing which is is certainly a start and I mean this was an incredible meal we are very fortunate to have uh, incredible meals around the world I've said this over and over again but I'm just like a dude with no media training or anything I've been very fortunate lately to, to have a lot of writing published and that's starting to go pretty well but I'm a fish out of water like I don't I'm not from this world I'm just very fortunate to get to to do this stuff. Um, I've kept you for an hour on your, your break here and I know you're heading into to dinner service so I'll wrap but um, I'll link to, to the website and the Perfect. Instagram and everything so people can find it and I will give my heavy recommendation behind coming here because it was incredible. Uh, so thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs> hey Voyagers, that is a wrap on the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast episode 279. We are here for another few days in Prague, and then we are headed to Berlin. We'll be there for a week-ish, and then we're heading back to the States. Ah, but I will be doing some traveling in the States, and I'm starting to reach out to people and hook up some episodes for there. So lots more coming this summer. It's been a great summer so far. I'm so happy to be back on the road. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, stay tuned, because there's more coming. And as always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon.